Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Five, four, three, two, one. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio. Rumination. 3CR's Rooming House and Homeless Persons Issues Program. Featuring information on health and housing services, as well as live local guests, artists and performers from our unsung community. Join us at 12pm on Thursday on 3CR 855am. Hello and uh, welcome to Ruminations for another week. Uh, We are 3CR's Peer Homeless Issues Program, broadcasting live every Thursday at noon to one from Wurundjeri Country, 855am on your radio dial, 3CR Digital and streaming at 3cr.org.au. If you miss any of our shows, you can listen back to the latest one on our 3CR page at 3cr.org.au forward slash ruminations. And we have now finally entered the podcast world. So check out the page as we make available the best of uh, ruminations shows from our archive for your podcasting pleasure. I'm Kelly and I'll be taking you through for the next hour. It's good to have your company. And joining me on the show today is our special guest, Mark O'Brien, the CEO of Tenants Victoria, who we had on Ruminations a couple of months back, I think, uh, to talk about changes to the Residential Tenancies Act 2018 and how these changes will hopefully make a positive difference to renters in Victoria and people uh, potentially at risk of homelessness. So I've invited Mark um, back so that we can dig a little deeper into some of the changes and uh, for us to have a bit of a yarn about it all. Um, So that will be the basis of today's show. So uh, welcome uh, to today's show, Mark. Thanks, Kelly. Good to be here. And I might just turn your mic up a little bit more. Give it a go now. Thanks, Kelly. Good to be here. (laughs) That's better. Okay. Um, So I thought uh, just to um, set the scene a little bit uh, for our listeners, um, so it's the um, uh, Residential Tenancies Amendment Bill 2018, which has been passed. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. And it amends the Residential Tenancies Act, which has been around, the current act, around since 1996. Yeah, I in my little bit of research, it said it was a, a 20-year review. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I think technically it's Residential Tenancies Act 1997. I should remember that, oh, but yeah. uh, now I'm, I'm just double-second-guessing uh, myself now. But it's the old act that was done in the late 1990s. Yeah, and um, 130 reforms. Yeah, a massive exercise, really. Um, the whole process of review took nearly four years. So it was announced shortly after the Andrews government was elected and 
then there was a whole process um, that we were involved in from that point onwards with, with a lot of discussion papers and submissions um, promoting different kinds of law reform. So all in all, it was quite a big exercise. Yeah. Um, um, and the, in a little bit of the research that I did do, um, uh, the government's rationale, uh, one of the things they made mention of is that um, uh, um, more people rent for longer these days compared to 20 years ago. Um, and they cite home ownership um, unaffordability as one of the big reasons. So people are renting for, I think is it a third of all private renters in Victoria are um, in their in, have been renting for for longer than ten years or something like that. Yeah, I think it's actually even a little bit higher than that. Mm. It's um, so around about forty percent of renters more than ten years. But um, uh, but that's right. So the government actually recognised that there's a long term change going on in Australia where people are renting for longer periods of their life. Um, it used to be a relatively um, or it used to be considered to be a relatively simple process where you moved out of your parents' home, you spent a little bit in the private rental market, and you quickly moved on to home ownership in your own right. Um, of course, for those of us that have been around a little while, we know that that wasn't ever really true for everybody anyway. Um, so, But more importantly, that's becoming less true now for increasing numbers of people. So... So interestingly enough, there's more families with children in the rental market than ever before and also a very significant increase in tenants over 55 who would have historically um, been considered to have been homeowners. So, so though there are some really substantial demographic changes that mean that, uh, that, that tenants need better protections if they're going to be reliant on that market for a whole lifetime of housing. So if seniors are still renting at the age of 55, I mean, they're a couple of generations ahead of me at least, um, that means this housing unaf- unaffordability thing uh, scene must have, must have been going on for quite a while then if they still haven't been able to transition into home ownership. Yeah, I think that's right. So particularly for the last, um, probably since the late 1990s. So... Um, the house prices were increasing relative to incomes anyway, um, but after the late 1990s, with a couple of things that happened, um, house prices really jumped dramatically in relation to incomes, and so that's meant a whole generation of people that have found it more difficult to get into home ownership, or importantly, where they've fallen out of home ownership to get back into it. So the best example of that is people who separate late in life, Um, Quite often it's the woman who will have difficulty um, getting back into home purchase because there's not enough money to buy back in in the place that you want to buy. So they're the women over 55 who are finding their way back into the private rental market. And it can be, um, you know, it can be a bit of a shock to go back into the rental market when you've actually owned your own home and uh, have possibly had the benefit of that over a long period of time and then to go back into the rental market and pretty much be treated like a second-class citizen again uh, later in your life is uh, quite, uh, quite disorienting. And in the papers, it also uh, mentions something curious I wanted to raise with you. Um, um, it says that um, <clears throat> people are renting longer because of the reason we just talked about. Um, oh, yeah. Um, uh, they're not moving into home ownership as much as people used to be able to do. Um, but it also says that people used to move um, into social housing. 
Yeah, absolutely what right. Does that so mean? yeah, so social housing. I mean, most people still talk about public housing. So um, really, social housing is just an umbrella term that means public housing plus housing managed usually by not-for-profit, non-government providers. So sometimes that's through arrangements with the government where they've got certain conditions that apply to that housing, but sometimes not. It's just their own housing and they uh, they rent it out to people. So that can be everybody from, um, you know, sort of non-government housing providers like, I don't know, like, um, like the YWCA or somebody like that or... Um, uh, Community Housing Limited is a big provider to people like the RSL who own little uh, little plots that they or little units that they rent out to people. So there's quite a mix in that community housing space. But public housing is the biggest landlord by far in Victoria. So there's about 65,000 public housing units. Um, it fluctuates a little bit because they're not always um, available at all the time. So there's about 65,000 of those and um, in the for, in the future, there is some idea that um, some of those will be transferred to community housing providers. But the main problem we have is that figure just hasn't kept pace with population growth. So Victoria has the lowest proportion of public housing of any of the mainland states, uh, and I, I think even lower than Tasmania. But um, so we really haven't kept pace with increasing house prices and increasing population. So social housing's become much harder to get into. So that can uh, that creates all kinds of problems. I mean, the way the housing market works is the people with good resources ultimately get into home purchase in one way or another. Uh, the people with not so good resources are stuck in the private rental market. As they increase, the people with very limited resources can get squeezed out of the mainstream rental market. The pathway in the past would have been that you um, had an option to go into social housing, but that doesn't work so much anymore. So that means for the people squeezed out of the mainstream private rental market, um, you can be stuck in a long-stay caravan park, um, uh, an awful rooming house, um, or in the worst case, um, have to sleep on the street because you don't have any housing. Hmm. I didn't realise there used to be such an option to move from private rental into public housing. Yeah, I, I, I'm uh, unfortunately old enough to remember a time when that was a relatively, uh, a much smoother transition than it is now. I mean, basically now, you, in order to get into public housing, you would have to have a, a very low income plus some other kinds of social disadvantage. Yes. Often that's, you know, a history of homelessness or um, chronic domestic violence or things of that kind. You've got to have just more than a low income. Mm. And so that's a real gap because there's a lot of people on low income struggling in the private rental market with no viable alternative. Yeah. Uh, you're listening to uh, Ruminations on 3CR Community Radio with me, Kelly. Uh, joined by Mark O'Brien, the CEO of Tenants Victoria, and we're talking about the Residential Tenancies Act 2018, or at least the Residential Tenancies Bill. <laughs> Has it become an act yet? Um, it is an act. En enacted. <laughs> but it isn't, excuse me, it is an act, but the act lapses when the amendments are incorporated into the Principal Act. Oh, so, that went over my head. That yeah, day. no, no, it's all... It's all <laughs> It's like making sausages. It's the stuff that you don't really care about as long as they taste good at the end. So, uh, 
All right, well, so where shall we start, Mark, in, in uh, digging into some of these uh, significant changes? So I thought it would be good to sort of go through it in like in logical order from the things that have changed about how you apply for rented properties or what happens at the what we would call the contracting stage of, uh, of, of uh, getting a rented property. And are then, we talking about here um, what kind of uh, dwellings? Like, does this include rooming houses and caravan parks or just um, so a lot of the changes, homes and flats and stuff? Yeah, so a lot of the changes primarily apply to what we would call mainstream residential tenancy. So that's flats and houses and things like that. So, um, so there are some specific changes for rooming houses and caravan parks. Maybe we'll come cover them at the end do you think yeah or i think that's a good idea you think is logical yeah, yeah i think that's a good idea because it only makes sense to talk about some of those changes at the end okay. when uh we've talked through what it means in the mainstream market so um so at the beginning at the so and there has been changes that are made all through the life cycle of being a tenant so that's a good thing about the 130 reforms. They really do cover off on a lot of territory. So if we start at the beginning, I guess the first bit of this process is the the sort of application stage and the what happens when you go to look at a place first off the bat. So, And there has been some changes to require landlords to disclose information to tenants before they enter into a residential tenancies agreement. And that's going to be done by regulation. So there'll be some regulations with a um, with a list of, of categories of information that a landlord has to disclose to a tenant. So this might include things like um, the presence of asbestos in the rental property or um, a history of chronic mould in the property or um, uh, whether or not... Um, uh, whether or not there's been uh, other complaints made about the property. So, for example, um, it might include things like um, is there a is there a noisy venue next door or things of that kind. So, at the moment, we don't really have a list, so we don't know exactly what's going to be in it. But the principle is basically, if there's something that the landlord knows that any reasonable person would think would change your mind about renting the property, then that really should be disclosed to the tenant. So, and the thing that you, the thing that we conventionally find is things like this: the landlord intends to sell the place. They don't tell anybody that. They sign up a tenant. Within two weeks of the tenant being signed up and moving in, the landlord announces, oh, I'm selling the place. And just by the way, you're going to have people traipsing in and out of your place for six months while I sell it. So um, so that information disclosure is really important. Um, the second bit of that is the application form will be standardised. So what that means is, um, what should mean is that landlords can't ask you discriminatory questions. So for example, if you're a woman... They can't ask you things like, are you married? Uh, so they sh- it should be, um, the application form will hopefully be limited to only the questions that are relevant to the landlord to assess what kind of risk the tenant might pose. So, um, so I think the last time I was here, we talked about the changes about pets. So it might be perfectly legitimate for the application form to ask, do you have a pet? Um but um, but there might be other questions that it's not okay to ask, so because they could only be discriminatory. 
Um, so the standard application form and the disclosure should mean that tenants are much better informed before they actually sign up to an agreement. I think everybody who's been a tenant will know what it's like. You you get 10 minutes to look at the place in an inspection. Um, the next time you see the estate agent, they're pretty much pressuring you to sign the contract and hand over your cash. Uh, and then when you move in, you discover a whole lot of things that you'd wish you'd known before you signed up. So, um, so the idea is that the application process will make it uh, make give tenants more information and hopefully make it make enable tenants to make better choices then about when they actually do sign up. So, for a lot to be to be clear though, for a lot of tenants, it's not going to make a great deal of difference if you're desperate for a place to live and you really just want to take the first place that you get offered. So, but for some tenants, it will make a difference because they'll hear things and see things that will make them say, well, actually, I don't want to live here. The, the benefit that that has is um, properties that don't are not good properties or landlords that are not good managers will hopefully be more transparent in that process. So, um, so hopefully that will have just at least a sort of slight slight benefit for other tenants by forcing landlords to take care of things that they haven't worried about previously. So if you've rocked up to an inspection, um, say it's a, a private landlord, not through a real estate, and they um, they don't they don't follow the law and they don't provide you with an application form, um, what can you as a tenant do? Who can you turn to to um, you know, kind of report that? Yeah, so that's a great question because, I mean, enforcement's a whole other thing. And um, so all of these things only work to the extent that they are actually properly enforced. So basically most of these things are really the responsibility of consumer affairs to make sure that they're working effectively. So if, for example, once the application form is standardised, someone is offering you a different form, you should complain to consumer affairs. If someone won't disclose for you the prescribed information, you should complain to consumer affairs. Um, so particularly in the in the period where the new laws are being implemented, consumer affairs, I think, will be very conscious of keeping people accountable to the new laws. So actually, tenants do benefit from the new laws, and they're not allowed to um, they're not allowed to um, be abused. What could happen to a um a landlord, Mark, if I, me as a tenant, I go and make a complaint to Consumer Affairs, what what do they do to the landlord then who's not complying? Yeah, so it's so there's a lot of dotted throughout the um, the tenancy law are what's called penalty provisions. So and they're usually pretty clear in the tenancy law because they'll have something underneath them that says penalty. Um, X units or something of that kind. Mm. So they're called offences or penalty provisions. So um, uh, so consumer affairs can enforce those penalty provisions and they're mostly fines. For some things, consumer affairs can issue an on-the-spot fine. So, um, so consumer affairs does have a lot of power in that regard if they receive legitimate complaints. Mm. Um, anything else to cover in that initial bit of uh, what about the rental bidding Would yeah that yeah that? absolutely so that was my next bit rents <laughs> so two two important things about rents so um uh, the government sort of restricted how rental bidding can work and basically the prop the proposal that's um will be in force is that an agent can't require or commence a bidding process um, what's not so clear is how an agent should respond if somebody volunteers a bid 
Um, so it, it, the way that the law is structured, um, the agent may be able to accept a higher offer but can't engage in a bidding process. So that might have some perverse consequences. We'll have to see how that works out. Our view was that it really should have been that you that properties were advertised for a fixed price, and you couldn't accept or um, you couldn't accept an offer of higher than the fixed price, or and you couldn't um, uh, engage in a process to try to get an offer of a higher price. So, um, but as it is, the pr- the proposal is basically that agents can't. Um, commence a bidding process. So, but that's a good thing. That's better than the law now, which is basically open slather. So that's the first thing that's good. The second thing that's good is um, there's a provision that limits the amount of rent and bond in a uh, rent in advance and bond that you can pay. And pretty much how that is now is if you rent more than three hundred and fifty dollars, there's no limit on how much bond and rent in advance can be. Whereas under the changes that have been made, um, the limit's been set pretty high. A rent level that's been set pretty high. Um, so it will probably capture at least. Um, you know, sort of 80% of properties will still only be able to charge four weeks bond and rent in advance. So so that's covered up a loophole that had emerged over a long period of time. So what that should mean is you've got more certainty as a tenant about how much rent you'll actually be paying when you see an advertised property. It should limit the bidding process and you should be confident that for most properties, it'll be four weeks bond and rent in advance. So what kind of things, um, uh, we'll go to a, a little um, bit of a musical interlude in a moment, but uh, before we get there, um, what kind of things have you seen or heard um, in the in the rental marketplace when it comes to rent bidding? What kind of scene are people oh, look, engaging in or, or witnessing? Yeah, look, the really awful thing about that is what we get is people complaining that the estate agent comes back to them and said, oh, some, says, oh, someone's offered more money. But you don't know who the someone is. There's no transparency around. It's not like going for an, uh, any other auction where you see who's actually bidding. Um, so, and the government's actually done a lot to clamp down on property auctions um, for that reason, where you used to get phantom bidders. So, you know, the seller's brother would turn up and put in a couple of bids to bump the price up. So, um, uh, so. Um, but in the rental market, the agent just says, oh, I've received another bid. It's this much money. Are you prepared to match it? And there's no transparency around that at all. It's illegal for the estate agent to mislead you, but how would you ever know? So um, so tenants get caught up in that process. We've always said it's a bad idea. Don't do it. And um, so we also hear about tenants who said the agent tried to get me to bid and I said, no, I'm not going to do that. So uh, so that's that's a better way to go. It's better for all tenants. If people are not engaging in bidding, that's not a good solution for anybody. I was expecting some kind of scene like at an auction where um, it's all quite transparent, but it's actually, that's not what's going on, yeah. No, nothing like that. In fact, it's all done in a very, (laughs) um, it's all, it's basically a sort of secret backroom process, which is really terrible and puts all tenants at a disadvantage. Uh, you're listening to uh, Mark, Mark O'Brien, the CEO of Tenants Union, uh, with me, Kelly, here on uh, Ruminations 3CR 855 AM. In the summer, I went swimming in the summer. Yay for summer! Summer brings swimming, summer brings picnics in the park, and summer brings the 3CR Summer Wine Fundraiser. Thanks to the support of Small Patch Wine Store in Hawthorne, 
We're selling 3CR Radical Radio labelled wines for only $15 a bottle. And they're even cheaper by the dozen or half dozen. Perfect as a gift or to fill a raised glass to toast 3CR at those summer festivities. Call the station between 9 to 5 on 9419 8377 to order or go to 3cr.org.au forward slash shop. Then you can drop into our Fitzroy studios to collect before the 21st of December. Small Patch Wine Store is a 3CR supporter. I spent three and a half years living on the street and I know what it's like to have no hope and not to feel part of the society and I think that's where a lot of these people are. But I think we need to help people who are traumatised and help people get back on their feet and give them hope and help them um, feel like they're a part of the society again instead of just moving them on like they're an inconvenience. If it were not for ruminations, how would the views of those of us who have been homeless or are homeless, how would these views ever be aired? How would they ever be expressed? Subscribe to the station that gives airtime to people with a lived experience of homelessness. Support 3CR. You're listening to Ruminations Peer Homeless Issues Program on 3CR 855 AM, streaming at 3cr.org.au and 3CR Digital. I'm Kelly and joining me on today's show is Mark O'Brien, the CEO of Tenants Victoria. Uh, We've been discussing elements of the Residential Tenancies Act uh, 2018 or the Amendment Bill and what these new uh, uh, laws mean for renters uh, potentially at risk of um, homelessness in the private sector. And the uh, track we played there in the break was um, from Mollusk uh, with Touch It Up. So where are we at now, Mark, in our conversation? So I reckon we might move on to things that happen once you've sort of signed the contract and you're ready to move in. So there's a couple of important things that have happened here. So the first one is... um, there'll be some minimum standards that will be developed for all rental properties in Victoria. So one of the consequences of the demographic changes that have been going on and the big growth in the rental market is a lot of properties come into the rental market that were never really meant to have permanent occupation. So um, so if you think about places like Dramana, there's uh, Dramana down in the south of Melbourne. There's a um, there's a whole lot of you know, old holiday houses now that are in the rental market permanently, but they're really not of a proper standard for per- permanent occupation. So, so one of the things that's been adopted is minimum standards. Um, they'll be worked out over the next sort of 12 to 18 months. So we don't know what the standards are yet. 
We know the areas that they'll cover, basically health, safety, and energy efficiency, um, but we don't know exactly what they'll be. So what the sort of things that we've talked about are things like ensuring that any properties that are rented out have electrical safety switches. So these are the switches where um, you they avoid people getting electrocuted if there's electrical faults or, or someone does something silly, like a child puts a knife in the toaster or something like that. So... Um, so those sorts of devices we think should be in all rented properties um, but we don't know exactly what the rest of the standards will look like yet they'll be developed over the next period of time but the good reassuring thing for tenants is that when you move into a place it should be compliant with the minimum standards and it will be an offence for it not to be compliant with the minimum standards um, so I guess that leads on to then um, repairs so there's some minor changes about repairs, mostly just to make the urgent repair process a bit quicker and um, to make the general repair process a bit quicker. So, But they're important changes for tenants. Unfortunately, most tenants don't follow the process now. What tenants often do um, is just put up with things because they feel vulnerable and maybe they'll get evicted, maybe they'll get a rent increase. Uh, so... Um, so it's not really likely that the changes that have been made about repairs will make a great deal of difference to people uh, doing that process or people who are prepared to do that process, but they are small refinements. So uh, importantly, they do uh, they do recognise a recent sort of um, a Supreme Court decision that said that the landlord has an absolute duty to maintain the premises in good repair and you can't, as a landlord, say, well, you saw what it was like when you moved in, so you accepted it in bad repair. So the, in combination, those two things are very important. So it means when you take a place, it should be at the minimum standard, and if it's not, you can enforce the minimum standard. And if there are repairs that are required, you can get those repairs done as well, and just because you've accepted the place doesn't mean you accept it with broken things. So they're both really important for tenants. It's the biggest single area that people complain about. And as a tenant, um, how would I find out what the minimum standards are? So there'll be a like a 12 to 18 month process for them to be developed. And then we expect there'll be a lot of publicity about what the minimum standards are and they'll be incorporated into the information that tenants are supposed to receive when they enter into a tenancy agreement. Mm. It's a bit... Um, we don't want that information to get too overwhelming because then people don't pay attention to it. But the idea is that the public, the, the minimum standards will be widely known so that tenants know what to expect and know when something isn't up to scratch. And how do you foresee that um, that knowledge being transmitted to people? Yeah, this is going to be a whole massive exercise because we've just talked about the things that have changed in the law. And if you think about it, there's um, that's all great. But if the only people that know about it are property managers yeah. and landlords, that's a bit hopeless. Mm. So there'll be a whole logistical exercise to try to make tenants aware of the new changes. So obviously, we'll do our bit of that, which is we'll promote things that have changed on our website and things like that. Um, but we also expect that government will do quite a bit with that as well. But um, seeing as we could be um, still 18 months away from the changes, it's not really clear what will happen. It's only clear that that need is very real. Um, so particularly with more people entering into the private rental market, you need a broader campaign of education to make sure that tenants understand their rights. 
I think uh, at the place I live, um, there's actually a, a, a really neat, handy little booklet from... Um, Consumer ten- Affairs, yeah. Or from the Tenants' Union, I oh, think, that yeah, spells okay. out what the uh, renters' rights are, and it's really good. So you think you foresee something like that being produced? Uh, yeah, it's particularly... It's interesting you should say that, Kelly, because it's... I mean, I think for us... Um, because the law's gotten more complicated now, I, I think there is a need for something that's really a real sort of trimmed down summary version that basically says, as a tenant, this is what you're entitled to. And it's not complicated, so it's not, you know, 200 pages long or anything like that. It's a really just short and simple version so that you understand basically what your rights are. So. You feel confident when you've got a, a like a hard copy of like a booklet or something <laughs> yeah. in your hand rather yeah, than yeah. this like... Nef- kind of um, internet space where you go searching through hyperlinks and pages. You feel, I don't know, somehow confident with a booklet in your hand? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's interesting. And I reckon, I don't don't know about anyone else, but there are some things I just like to have in a hard copy. (laughs) And and it's kind of, I like to, you know, you look through them. And so there are some things that just work better like that. So we've always been a fan. We think that the book that the government produces now is too complicated. And we've, I'm, We've always been a fan of doing things that are simpler and clearer. Mm. So, I mean, strictly speaking, you should be sort of pitching this information to sort of at sort of teenage level. So, you really want something that's so simple and straightforward that a teenager would understand what their rights are. Mm. So, um, so that's really what you need, and that helps everyone out. So, because you know, tenants all have different abilities. For the ones that want more complex information, we're probably happy to provide that. But across the board, you really need this simple summary stuff. Uh, You're listening to Ruminations on 3CR Community Radio with me, Kelly, and I'm joined by Mark O'Brien, the CEO of Tenants uh, Victoria. Tenants Victoria? Yeah, Tenants Victoria. I keep referring back to Tenants Union I still have in my mind. (laughs) Yeah, me too. (laughs) (laughs) And we're talking about the Residential Tenancies um, Act or changes, amendments to the Act um, that were made this year. Um, And so where shall we go to now, Yeah, so so, um, just as a follow-on from that, there's a really other important change that's been made about a right for tenants to make modifications to the property. So this is really important where... um, where tenants, so again, if you think about the ageing groups who are tenants, so where you've got to make modifications so you can live safely at home. So that's things like in installing grab rails or it might be a ramp or something like that. So there will be some regulations or some um, list of modifications that tenants can make as of right, which means the landlord can't refuse them. And then there'll be probably be some information about um the kinds of modifications that a landlord should consent to um, and that would be reasonable to consent to. So the landlord still has a right to withhold consent for some modifications, but not unreasonably. So the really important uh, aspect of this one is also to make your furniture safe. So there's been some terrible cases. There was one that was publicised just recently in Western Australia where um, a small child was crushed by um, a piece of furniture falling over on top of them and uh, because it wasn't secured to the wall. Uh, so there's a lot of this furniture now where the manufacturers say the safest way to use this piece of furniture is attached to the wall. Even, 
you know, televisions now, they say, attached to the wall. So um, so tenants have to be able to do that to make the place safe for them and their family. So the change to the law will enable that to occur. That means you can make the place safe for you and make it more like a home. So that's a really important change just to make people feel more comfortable. On that note, I mean, the other thing that we talked about last time is the ability to have a pet. So it's the same sort of process where the landlord can't unreasonably withhold consent. So there's a sense in which the tenant's entitled to it. But if the landlord has a good reason, then the landlord can withhold consent, but not just any old reason. So um, it's the intention that Consumer Affairs will publish some guidance about what might constitute a good reason for refusing. So if you can think about situations like... um, Someone is in a small bed sit and they want two large Great Danes in the small bed sit. Um, so the landlord might reasonably say, well, actually, two large dogs in a place with no outside space, probably not going not gonna to work. So, um, so that might be something where the landlord can reasonably withhold consent. Mm-hmm. But the, it is shifting the presumption, which is now, that a landlord can just say no to a situation where the tenant's entitled to it and the landlord has to have a good reason for saying no. So again, it's just another thing that helps make the rent a place a home. So, um, yeah, in the in the homelessness space, I've learned over the past uh, five years or so, this uh, the pet issues are a really big one that prohibits oh, yeah. people from transitioning from homelessness into housing. So this will be this is a huge. Thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't agree more. And what's really interesting about that is if you're socially isolated, there's a lot of research now that how important pets are for you maintaining um, good mental health. So, um, so it's not really surprising for anybody that's worked in homelessness that some people are so attached to their pets, they would rather sleep on the street yeah. with their pet yeah. than go into accommodation where they can't have their pet. And if your pet was the really one of your major sources of solace and comfort, why wouldn't you make that choice? And why wouldn't people understand that that's a terrible choice to force people to make? So, uh, yeah, so this is a good change. Mm. So I thought we could just spend the last little bit talking about then the end of the tenancy. All right, I might just go to um, a little uh, community announcement and we'll come back and uh, wrap up. Um, so you're listening to Ruminations on 3CR with Kelly and Mark O'Brien from Tenants uh, Victoria. What do you think of when you hear the word drugs? Medicine. Medicine. Uh, recreational. There's lots of things, isn't it? <laughs> Covers all sorts of stuff, doesn't it? It's a bad thing, but I don't know, people get good feelings off it. Fun. Entheogenesis. Stupid. Fun. Youth. Yeah, fun. Uh, bad. <laughs> Dirty syringes. Shake my head. <laughs> Cocaine. Hater. Scourge. I'm agreeing with him. Trouble or maybe addiction, something like that. Something I don't relate to at all, I don't understand. Party time. Well, generally, sort of loser. If you think of that, recreational joke. I don't know, drugs, bad. Medicine. Help people. Helping people with their conditions, whatever that may be. What is the drug user? Who is this person a drug user? In Psychedelia, we're here to rethink the psychoactive paradigm. Sunday afternoons on 3CR, 2 till 3pm. Hello, we are Dacha Bracha from Free Ukraine. And you're listening to Free CR Community Radio.
on 3CR 855am you are listening to ruminations Yeah, Mark and I, Mark and I were just having a, a bit of a laugh off air. Um, how time flies in the studio um, when you're talking about such a meaty issue, and we probably won't get through everything today either. We might have to have an, a, another future instalment. Yeah, I'd be really happy for someone to call, come back and just talk about rooming house stuff. That uh, would be that really, would be really great. great. So, yeah, so we might save that for another day. All right. So, what shall we do in our last? Um few minutes then so i thought i'd talk quickly about some important changes about eviction so obviously the one that we think is most important even though they're not widely used they still have a very um sort of bad effect in the market is the the limiting of no reason notices to vacate so basically landlords will only be able to serve a no reason notice to vacate at the end of the first fixed term in any tenancy agreement. So most fixed term agreements are 12 months. So it basically means at the end of the first 12 months, um, you can still serve an end of fixed term notice, which is a kind of no reason notice, um, but you can't serve them under any other circumstances. And that's a fantastic change. Uh, So that means um, in any other circumstances, the landlord has to have a reason to evict you. Uh, one of the reasons specified in the Act to evict you, which is great. So um, on that note, there's been one change that we didn't support, but we understand why it's happened, which is there'll be a new notice that a landlord can give you if you threaten or intimidate a property manager. So um, that doesn't exist now, and we didn't support that being included, but it has been included. So obviously the threats would have to be serious, So this is not just being angry with your estate agent because they never get things done. It's got to be more than that. It's got to be a serious threat or intimidation, not just blowing off steam because things haven't worked out. Um, The other thing that I do want to highlight that I think is important is um, for most tenants, they don't understand that even if you get a notice to vacate, the landlord can't actually evict you until they go to VCAT. And so um, in the f- with the changes that have been made, you'll have to, in most instances, have a reason specified in the Act for the notice to vacate. And when it goes to VCAT, um, VCAT will have to decide whether or not eviction is reasonable and proportionate in the circumstances that warrant the notice to vacate. They'll have to decide that for every eviction. So that's actually a really significant safeguard for people who follow the process the whole way through. So for people that are really vulnerable, um, who can sometimes be evicted for minor breaches of the Act, it will allow a sort of final safeguard at VCAT for VCAT to go, well, yes, I see that the breach was there, but it's not reasonable or proportionate in these circumstances to evict someone for that. Mm. So the best example I can give is lots of tenancy agreements have in them, you can't hang your washing on the balcony. But to imagine that the sanction for that would be you do that twice and the sanction for that is you get evicted, um, at least give VCAT the opportunity to say, well, we don't think eviction is the right response to that problem. Let's put in place a compliance order or something else like that to try to deal with that problem. So that's a very important safeguard right at the end of your tenancy if you do receive a notice to vacate. And last but 
last but by no means least, a very quick one is um, the bond recovery process has always also been streamlined at the end of the tenancy. And basically the way it works now is if the landlord doesn't make a claim within 14 days, it defaults back to the tenant. So you get your money back if the landlord doesn't make a claim as opposed to now, um, you can get tied up in the landlord just doing nothing and no resolution of it for months on end. What was that thing you uh, mentioned I, I didn't quite get um, about the um, um, notice to vacate the previous item we were talking about? You said yeah. something about a fixed term uh, rent and when they will and will not be able to oh, give sorry, you a no, a no cause, I mean, no reason eviction. I didn't yeah. quite get that. So basically how that works is um, most people, when you sign up to a tenancy agreement, sign up to a 12-month fixed term agreement initially. Mm-hmm. So the landlord will be able to give you an end of fixed term notice at the end of that 12-month period, which is kind of like a no-reason notice, but that's the only circumstances in which you can receive a no-reason notice. Okay. Does that make more sense, Kelly? So if, if you've been on a lease for a year, yep. after that time, they can they are able to issue you with a no-reason no, only at the end of that first fixed term. Only can they, at the end of the Only at the end lease. of that first one. Okay. And then after that, no more. Okay. So if you if you then sign up another year, no, lease. It does, if it's the same, if it's the same occupancy of the same property, then they can't serve a notice at the end of that second lease. Okay, and and they obviously can't do it um, leading up to the twelve month. Um, expiry of that lease, they can't. They couldn't issue. They can't issue you with it at six months or seven months time. Well, they might be able to give you the notice, but you wouldn't be able. You wouldn't be required to move out until the lease ends. So okay. Well, that's a really good change. Yeah, it's great. Very good. It's great. Um, so I might have to wrap it up. Yeah, no problem. Um, so you've been listening to Ruminations Peer Homeless Issues Program on 3CR Community Radio with me, Kelly, uh, joined by uh, Mark O'Brien from Tenants Victoria. Um, thanks for your company the past hour. If you'd like to get in touch with us, um, you can send us an email to ruminations3cr at gmail.com or send us a message on our Facebook page at Ruminations Radio. And every Ruminations broadcast is available for a week after it goes to air on our on-demand page at 3cr.org.au forward slash ruminations. And this one will also be available as a podcast, so you can um, tell all your friends about that, Mark. They can download it. You can download it too. Yeah, well, maybe I'll get my <laughs> maybe I'll torture my children and get them to listen <laughs> yeah. to it. So. Um And so many of our archival shows will be available as podcasts in the following months. So keep your eyes peeled for that at 3cr.org.au forward slash ruminations. And this is my last uh, hosting role for um, the show this year. Um, So I'd like to take this opportunity to thank um, all you regular regular listeners out there um, for sticking with us through 2018. And a special thank you um, to those who donated during our Radiothon. And thanks very much for coming on the show today, Mark. No worries. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. And I wish you all um, a great day and uh, take care. See you later. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. 
For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.